You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 2. Sharpshooters. My name is Frank Butler. I was living in New Jersey with my wife, Henrietta, when the Eastern outbreak occurred. Life prior to that was not an abundance of raspberries and cream, but we loved one another in little ways that made the harder aspects more bearable. I was louder and more boisterous than I am today, but less so around her. Hen always insisted on attending to my necktie in the mornings, and that gave us ample opportunity for a moment of quiet eye contact. Likewise, I kept a close eye on the home and ensured that she would never have to contend with a broken cupboard handle or squeaky porch screen for more than half a day. I always intercepted the problem and never asked for credit for my duties. Seeing her smile was always enough. I will not lie to myself or to you and imply there were no problems with our marriage. Who knows what would have happened between us had things gone differently. I recall very vividly the first news that people were fleeing New York. For a moment, it made no sense at all. That was a southern problem. There were so many states this malady had to cross to reach us. How could it be here already? I believe it was this period of shock that prevented the northern areas from taking appropriate action and led to such an explosive increase in the Wendigo population that everyone trapped in this pincer movement between the two outbreaks had no chance at all. My son Edward was three years old, and little Catherine, a name I've always liked, not even out of a crib yet. It's hard to describe how much slower you move with children that age when a disaster like this strikes. Looking back now, all these years on, I take very little comfort in the likelihood that we never really had much of a chance to survive together. True to form, none of them did. Just me. I was the one who had to bury all three. I was the one left wandering around, not rightly knowing what to do with myself. The first night of being entirely alone was the worst. I sat in a stranger's house, not a light on in there, a pistol in my hand, listening to the bedlam outside. I felt so cold and numb. My forward momentum had bled away with my beloveds. My plan to meet up with Hen's family had no draw for me anymore. A couple more hours of the darkness and that pistol was starting to feel mighty friendly. She had cost me $14.50 and now she seemed like my ticket out of a situation I had no business being in anymore. Twice I placed the barrel to my temple. The first time my plane chickened out. Fearing something might go wrong with the shot, worrying about the pain of staggering around, bullet lodged in my skull, but life still holding me fast. A second time, a visitor interrupted me. Through the back entrance, a wendigo had crept, lightly treading the boards of this unfamiliar kitchen until I heard it hiss behind me. Without thinking, I moved the barrel away from my own head towards this former person so similar to the one who had taken my family mere hours before. He ducked and weaved and then sprang towards me, eyes flared. I narrowed mine and placed a bullet dead center in its forehead, sending a crimson spray back against the walnut dresser. The Wendigo crashed to the floor and jerked about for a moment, its body an inhuman, tangled shape. I breathed in relief, then retreated to the upstairs bedroom and spent the rest of the night watching the barricaded doorway and listening. I think the reason they caught us so off guard in that first year was because of how difficult it was to sleep. 
We stayed awake too long. We made poor decisions. We allowed our anger, frustration, grief, and paranoia to push away the people who may have supported us. We needed rest like you wouldn't believe. And we still do. At first light, I pulled away the barricade and took stock of the house. Removed the body, boarded the place up, and stockpiled my supplies. Then I went upstairs to the bedroom and slept for many hours. Ate a decent meal. Survived another night. The next morning... I decided I had had about as much time as I wanted or needed in that house. Packed up my bag and headed out into what New Jersey had become. So began four years of wandering for me. I had decided I was capable of carrying on, though I quite understood those who felt the opposite. I stayed solo for much of the time, moving from place to place, offering my aid as I journeyed through Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and Maryland. There were two skills that I could contribute to the prospective survival groups that I met on my travels. First off was glassblowing. Of course, I would need the right equipment. It's a tricky business, but if you had the materials and the tools and the right kind of furnace and you wanted a glass bottle, I was your man. That, strangely enough, did not net me an overabundance of paid work. The second, and rather more naturally accomplished, skill was that I could also shoot, and I mean with an accuracy that defied these clumsy firearms. So if you needed some glass bottles breaking from a long way away, I could do that too. And it was the shooting that came in handy to them. A lot of prowling former human beings out there in the dark. It made them feel safe to get behind me, and I still had a head on my shoulders. Over those years, I would often find myself in situations where I would be leading a group to find supplies or repel the creatures from our borders... I would grip the handle of that same $14.50 colt and think about the decision I made in that dark room. I let instinct be the trigger and followed that up with resolve. Vulnerable people lived because of me. That made me feel like I was part of something greater and unspoken. So round about 1877, I found myself in Manassas, where the remnants of Washington's government had regrouped and there was a newfangled idea being started up the first National Intelligence Agency. Their remit was to find out more about America, to travel across it on horseback, to work with the army, scout for settlements, and recruit across the states they were able to reunify. They wanted everyone, every man, woman, and child able to help had an obligation to do so. And if they all did, and we retook the cities, we might have a chance of surviving. Together. It was such a bold, exciting, somewhat naive, but nonetheless immensely inspiring task to set us to. I recall the faces of those around me and how some went from skeptical to hopeful within minutes. It was as if a light had been switched on behind their eyes. Yes, this seemed like it was possible. We might be able to bring America back together, recover from such dire calamity. Where do I sign up? It was all started by a former slave named Thomas W. Arlington, and, I would later find out, his wife Sarah. And you can imagine what a lot of Americans had to say about being given literal marching orders from someone who had previously tilled the fields and occupied a place on the social ladder just above dogs and cows. When I laid eyes from afar on this stern, clever, angry, red-coated fellow that August afternoon in Manassas, I never conceived of how close I would eventually become to him. How his life and Sarah's would one day rest upon my abilities as a crack shot. How unbearably awkward a Thanksgiving dinner in March would be with them. How fond of one of their twin daughters I would become. And I could not know at that time 
how working for his cause would lead me to the most special person in my life. A few weeks later, I stood before a shooting range with 25 of the first cartographer cadets. My job was to pick five of them. Shooting disciplines are not all the same, so someone proficient with a rifle won't necessarily be a good quick draw with a pistol. Skill with a shotgun is useful against human combatants, but what was becoming apparent was that we needed to minimize the blood spray to contain the infection. Our best recourse is to be able to pick them off from a distance with precision. Problem is, the Wendigo are smart. They don't just stagger out into the sunshine and put themselves in harm's way. You gotta go into their nests and hiding places, root them out and get your hands dirty. And that's when the chances of an ambush go up. All of this was information we were on the cusp of understanding, but I was there when things were just pulling together. Figured the best way to motivate them was to raise their competitiveness. Anyone know what this is? Uh, yes, sir? Yes. It's a pillow. Not just any pillow, son. This here's a full goose-down soft cotton pillow. It will send you off to dreamland in minutes for the best damn night's sleep of your life. Pardon my French. Any of you own a pillow like this? Nope. No. 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 Uh Uh-uh. Well, then I'll tell you what. Whoever shoots their targets best today gets to sleep tonight with this pillow, who I will be calling Matilda. Any of you can shoot better than me, and I will give you Matilda. For keepsies? You betcha. All right, sir. I reckon I can shoot better than you. Hold your horses, Miss... Oakley. Annie Oakley. And where do you hail from, Miss Oakley? Ohio. Well, Miss Oakley, you might be the sharpest shot in the Buckeye State, but I'm seeing a lot of trigger fingers on the range today. So you keep your pretty little self on the line and wait your turn, and we'll see how good a shot you are. No need. I'm the best and I know it. And so humble, too. Just tell me what to shoot. Okay. That target down there at the back. Last one. That one? Okay. Cadet Bailey, it's a little far for me to see from here. Can you go and verify her score, please? Yes, sir. At that, Bailey ran off down the field, and I regarded the tiny, boastful young lady. She clasped her Winchester and locked eyes with me until we heard the cadet shouting. Bullseye, sir! Bailey, can you step away from the target? Ten yards should do it. Okay. How did I do? Uh, also a bullseye, sir. You sure it didn't miss entirely? No, sir. I can see here that two bullets have gone through the paper. That pillow's mine. I said if you could do better than me, you've just done the same, but that was pretty gosh darn good, pardon my French. You should have shot first. I didn't think you'd get a bullseye. Well, I did. Pillow me. We need better targets. I will shoot whatever you want me to. Private Tyler, would you be a sweetie pie and wheel that trolley full of old crockery over to that platform there? Yes, sir. Sergeant Butler, sir. Private Trent, how many can you count on the trolley? 23 dishes, sir. And seven cups. That's an even 30. Let's take 15 each. Ladies first. Uh Uh-uh. This time, you go first. I insist. Okay. Trent and Tyler, you just start throwing dishes down the range, hard as you can, and try not to get hit by any flying pieces. I need a counter. Shall I stay out here, sir? Cadet Bailey, get your ass back behind the line and you be my counter. Okay. Okay. Pull! That was all 15, sir. There. Beat that, Miss Oakley. 
Uh, sir? Are the rest of us gonna get to shoot anytime soon? Yeah, 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 of course you are. Just get this little matter out of the way first. Paul! Ah, uh, 15 again. We, we need, need more dishes. dishes. We found more dishes. And as the afternoon drew on, more and more old crockery was rendered into ceramic fragments. We were neck and neck. I watched her while she shot and had to hide the broad smile that kept threatening to pass across my face. She was so determined, so fierce, so focused. But I was not going to just let her win. I knew now from how relentless she was that she would have to beat me fair and square. And eventually, inevitably, one of the bullets did miss the mark. I don't know whether it was a misfire, a bad bullet, or just an extremely lucky bullet, but one of my dishes fell to the ground where it broke in two. The cadets stared at this strange phenomenon and then looked at Annie. Paul! She proceeded to take out every one of her targets, not wavering for a second, turning triumphantly to me as the last one shattered. My pillow, sir? She held out her open hand to me, her eyes sparkling. That grin finally found its place and I could not hide it a moment longer. You earned this. Matilda is yours. Hello, comfortable nights. It took almost two years of dancing around one another. My recommendation that she be promoted to a firearms trainer of equal stature to my own, and many lengthy conversations, but eventually, we agreed that getting married and spending as much time together as we were ever allowed was probably about the best thing we could do in a world like this. Now, whenever we sleep in the same bed, Matilda is there to remind us both that she's one shot better than I am. And when Annie is away from me, that's who she leaves behind. You have been listening to episode 2 of Steamheart, Sharpshooters, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. Bailey, performed by Alex Shaw. Tyler, performed by Sharon Shaw. And Trent, performed by Theo Lee. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Evening Fall, Dirt Roads, Pepper's Song, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dachler, and Lorraine Chisholm. <laughs>